Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. On today's podcast, I have with us Rosa Jaffe Geffner, who is a licensed social worker in New York City. She has almost 10 years of experience as a social worker in the field of legal services. She's a system advocate and combats inequality in the city. Her work has focused on housing, child welfare, and juvenile criminal legal systems. Rosa is an instructor for graduate level students and has taught at Columbia University and John Jay. Her teaching focuses on anti-oppressive work, self-care, and self-awareness development. Welcome to the Centered in the City podcast, Rosa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And for our listeners, just some fun facts. Rosa and I know each other from middle school days. And so it's so fun to be able to connect in this way and uh, talk about the real and the raw aspects of self-care. And Rosa, I'd love to begin by asking you, what does self-care mean to you and, and look like for you in your life? To be really honest with you, Wade, I didn't start thinking about that question until I was an adult. Mm. Um, I think growing up, the language, self-care, that concept wasn't even a thing we grew up together. So maybe you can (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, but it it certainly wasn't a thing in my life. There wasn't the media, the articles, the training, the embedding in our education. It wasn't there. Mm. And I think that much more what I was raised with was push through, mm. grind it out, mm-hmm. suck it up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was really about, I think, the hope that if you stay motivated, if you keep grinding, you'll be successful. And I never heard the messaging from anyone in my life that part of being successful was taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Being successful on a professional level and being successful personally. And to be quite honest with you, Wade, it wasn't until 
I got to social work school mm-hmm. that I even learned about the concept, the term self-care. And it wasn't even until I was in the field of social work that I started imagining how I might use it. And if I'm going to be really honest, it wasn't until I had my daughter that I actually started practicing it. Mm. And and so self-care for me is very personal. I think it's a reflection of my growth and who I've become and how I've learned to heal and show up more for myself. Tell me a little bit about the healing aspect of self-care because I think that's a really important aspect of self-care that doesn't get highlighted. There are certain articles that have come out more recently as the term self-care has evolved about how it's not just champagne and bubble baths, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just binging out on Netflix, even though binging out on Netflix is great. Um, Mm -hmm. No no shame there. (laughs) And sometimes necessary. Pampering is necessary. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But what happens when you start teetering on avoidance, um, on completely separating yourself from what's actually taking place and not being in touch with you? then maybe it's not just separate from self-care, but I will go as far to say could be counterproductive. I think that there's like levels to this shit, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's levels. And for me, I think when I first discovered like self-care as a term and tried to apply it, it was the pampering, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, yeah, I'm going to um, get a piece of chocolate cake and I'm going to take a trip. I remember traveling a lot um, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go anywhere I want and feeling really liberated in that for a little while, but there was still an emptiness. Mm -hmm. There was still a loneliness. There was still a sadness um, and like, struggling to find joy and Mm. pleasure Mm -hmm. um, and like being connected. And I think having my daughter um, and also spending some time in my profession kind of peaked at the same time, right? Of that like work felt hard And then having a child and being a single parent felt even harder. Mm. And I knew that there was more I needed to do for myself than just the pampering. And so I've kind of been on this journey about what, what do I need to do to feel more connected? How do I tap in instead of tapping out? Mm -hmm. Because I've done a lot of tapping out. Mm. on many different levels. Like I think we, we often think about tapping out as like addiction or um, like some like behaviors that are demonized. Yeah. Yeah. But numbing can look really, it doesn't have to be that intense. It can look like 
just binging Netflix every single day of the week, right? And so I, I just wanted to feel more. Mm. Um, and so I had to start looking at my relationships with people. I had to start looking at, you know, my relationship with myself and figure out ways to better connect with myself. And if I could just say, also having to acknowledge, do I even want to connect with myself? Do I even want to sit with myself and be okay with the feelings and thoughts that come up? Like, can mm. I be okay with that? And so I started really identifying through different areas of support, like how do I start that healing journey? Like how do I get on that track? Mm. So what I'm hearing is like healing for you is really this journey, this practice, this discovery of learning how to tap in and be with yourself instead of avoidance and tapping out. Absolutely. And that's so important to emphasize because it, there totally is this cultural conversation of self-care is, you know, learning a new facial routine and, you know, all this like Instagram BS shit where in fact, like the real self-care, what I call like the sustainable self-care is that time with yourself is the ability to hear yourself. It's that ability to slow down so that you can make sure that you're honoring yourself, your inner wants versus being on autopilot or moving throughout the day, either numbing, right? Avoiding. And we're trained to avoid, right? We are not trained to listen to ourselves, to even to listen to each other. And that's a whole other story, <laughs> but like listen to ourselves, right? We are are trained of like, oh, this is an unpleasant feeling. I want to get rid of it. I don't want to sit with it. Or even this is a really pleasant feeling. I want more of it. I want more, 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 right? And we're, we're not able to, we're not trained. We don't necessarily innately learn how to find some of that balanced place. For sure. And I also want to recognize that even that level, like I said, there's levels to this shit, <laughs> even that level of self-care, right, is a privilege. There was a time when I first had my daughter and I had to move back into my childhood bedroom. I had no money and I was living out of bags. That was not the time that I was going to be able to tap in. I was doing some major tapping out and it was a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so like, I want to make sure that the message that I'm sharing is that whether you tap in or tap out, like, there are good reasons to tap in and then there are good reasons to tap out too. Mm -hmm. um, and it shouldn't be judged, right? Like mm -hmm. the tapping out, because sometimes it's about self-preservation mm -hmm. and that if your basic needs like if we look at it from a systemic perspective, if your basic needs aren't getting met, then it's totally understandable. If you don't have housing, if you don't have food, if you don't have sufficient income, if you're in an abusive situation where you're not safe, if you're experiencing traumatic events, then maybe tapping in isn't helpful, actually. I appreciate you bringing that 
point up and I'm curious since you work with a demographic that is typically needing housing support or is in between jobs or there's some sort of instability and as you said their basic needs aren't being met how can how can self-care be accessible to everybody no matter what it might look different as we talked about these levels of self-care but somebody who might be struggling, especially right now, but facing eviction, food scarcity, maybe in between jobs right now, like what can self-care still look like? That's such a great question. And I would just say that I actually really appreciate the awareness around mental health during this pandemic and understanding how people are being impacted by the multifaceted collateral consequences of what we're dealing with. And so it is a choice, right? It's, it's a choice to say, this is how I'm going to take care of myself in this moment. And it's a process. And so in my own personal experience during the pandemic, I also dealt with a lot of hardship, different than what you just described. It's actually what led me to my own journey around starting to meditate. Mm. Because between homeschooling and remote work, if I didn't have a space to decompress and to ground myself, I wasn't going to be ready for the day. And I've got to tell you, Wade, I go to therapy like a lot of people do. And my therapist for years has been asking me to meditate. Mm -hmm. And so I think to answer your question, people have to be ready. They have to be at a point where it works for what they need. And so I think that as somebody who serves others, my job is to not be someone to tell them, this is what you need and this is how you do it at this moment. But to be a mirror and reflect their experience through empathy, through compassion, through showing them that I care enough to understand about what's going on and then using the information that I elicit as a buildup of data to better inform what's going to work for you. What do you need in this moment? Right. So even just asking them that question, right. And holding space for them, holding compassionate, curious space for them to say, what do you need in this moment? And for them to recognize, oh, I have a need, or I have a request of myself or somebody else, or even just being able to ask for help, right. That can be a form of self-care that little itty bitty question or inquiry is a little question, but it's a huge act, right? It's like radical to like, be able to say like, what, what do I need right now? You know, and then I'm worthy to have these needs met and to ask for support or to receive support uh, is a huge act of self-care. I think about in the industry that I'm in, There are so many people that come my way and they've just been shuffled, right? They've had to go to this office. They've had to talk to this person. 
they've had to wait on this hotline. And the people that they're trying to speak to are busy mm-hmm. and have a lot going on. And so there's almost like this expectation that it's going to be a really thick, quick conversation and keep it pushing. And, and sometimes that's people are okay with that. And then other times people I've noticed are really surprised that I've listened, that I've affirmed, mm. that I've genuinely shown interest, even if it's outside of the reason that we're speaking. Mm-hmm. People really appreciate that. Um, I think feeling seen yes. and, and being validated, especially when you think about, you know, who, who am I serving and, and who gets to be seen mm-hmm. in this country, yep. you know? And so it's, it's really, you know, important that when we're working with people and, and I can personally relate to this, you know, as a black biracial woman, that when you are in a group that maybe isn't being seen, to be seen is really, it's, it's a good place to start. Yeah. Everybody wants to be seen and heard and held. And especially the people who have been marginalized in our American culture and globally, you know, I want to kind of bring us back to something you said a bit ago around your therapist has been asking you to meditate for years and so it's kind of a two-part question of one, what inspired you to like commit to, okay, I'm going to start finally and, and from a loving place, not a judge, judging place. And two, when you, you mentioned you feel grounded, like what do you notice are the benefits of feeling grounded in your day as a, as a social worker, as a mother, as a human being? I wish I could tell you that it was something happy that, it was an aha moment, um, this epiphany. Um, but actually, it was the combination of a lot of built-up pressure and really struggle, struggling. And I found myself just searching for anything, anything that was going to make me feel at peace mm. because things felt so chaotic and out of sorts and abnormal. And I just needed to feel peace. And so I thought, why not? Like, I don't have anything to lose at this point. Let's do it. (laughs) And it's funny because I think my personal resistance to meditation stems to something else that I've been working on, which is perfectionism. And this I tell me more. (laughs) And this idea that there's this perfect way to meditate, that when you meditate, you are Zen and you are just calm and your legs are crossed and your eyes are closed and you're like an advertisement for meditation. No, that's that's not what happens and that's not what's happening for me. I use guided meditations, which personally, I think are really helpful. And what I appreciate about the guided meditations that I use is the person tells me 
that I'm having thoughts Mm -hmm. that are interrupting, if that's, I might use a different word, but thoughts that are um, coming into my mind while I'm meditating, that it's okay. It is okay that I'm having thoughts and to gently push them away and recenter. And to me, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. This is my life. My life is constant. Go, go, go. Things coming up, things happening, the rush, the grind. And I didn't know it was just so easy that I could say, okay, I acknowledge it. And now I'm going to get back to being centered. Mm. It, It was like the most it sounds easy, but it hasn't been at all. And I feel so grounded and so powerful mm. when I do it that I control my thoughts and I can stop myself from spiraling mm-hmm. down this like well of what if this happens? What if that happens? What am I going to do? What's happening tomorrow? And just be like, okay, I see that. And it's okay that I thought something different than what I'm doing. And now I'm back to me. I love the perfectionist call out because, you know, that's come up in a lot of my conversations with people around either people thinking their morning routine or their self-care routine has to look perfect or whether it's their meditation has to, they have to be a perfect meditator in order to do it. At an in-person Lululemon meditation event I held and someone was like, oh, I'm not a good meditator. Like my mind's too busy. And I was like, was like, okay, pause. First of all, all of our minds are busy. All of our minds, we are constantly having thoughts. And I think there's this misconception out there that a meditation to do it correctly, to do it right, your mind has to be empty and blank. But in reality, right, the goal is to be present to our thoughts, is to notice our thoughts. I kind of like to visualize it like there's a shit ton of papers on your desk And you're noticing what each paper is and then kind of filing it away so the desk then looks a little bit more organized, right? So your mind can feel a little bit more organized. Your pieces of paper aren't cluttering everything. And with more practice, with more practice with meditation, you create more spaciousness between your thoughts. So it's not thought, 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 and that reactivity, but it's like, oh, that thought oh, there's another thought and not attaching to it. And I love what you said. You feel empowered, right? It's like, yeah, you feel a choice, right? You don't feel like a victim to your thoughts or what's happening or the subway being delayed or the noise of New York or whatever it is. It's like, oh, this is just happening and I'm observing this. What are some practices that when you're teaching graduate students in the self-care, excuse me, the self-care in the social working programs, how do you talk about and emphasize the importance of self-care? I like to tell students that their time in school is a really great low risk opportunity to try and establish those practices, right? Like you're not, you're not in, not all students, but some, you're not in your profession yet. You're in an internship, so there's a lot more room for mistakes. Um, You're in the learning role, so there's a lot more forgiveness and um, a lot less like 
ownership you have to take if you don't want to take it. Um, you can really like be in a role where you're just kind of figuring things out. And why not use that as a time to figure out how you want to take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. I remember when I started graduate school, I had this professor and he said, how many people were so happy and excited to get accepted to this program? Like everyone raised their hand. And he said, what about how many people were anxious and terrified about starting this program? And then a couple of people started raising their hands and more people. And he mentioned that oftentimes we're not socialized to think of some of our happiest, most exciting moments as also some of our most stressful moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so talking to students about how you'll get this new job, it will be so exciting and you'll be really in the work and, you know, social workers, you'll, you'll be really committed and you'll work those extra hours and all of a sudden it will just, it will just creep up on you. You know, the, the hypervigilance, the, um, not giving yourself breaks, Mm -hmm. um, the, the not being present, the compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how did you get there from where you started? Mm -hmm. And so it's so important from the beginning to acknowledge that there's potential for that and responsible to really try and figure out how am I going to pace myself in such a chaotic field. Um, And so we talk a lot about like, what does it look like to slow down work in a fast paced environment? And and how can we manipulate time? Oh my God, I am so excited you just brought up pace. I just recorded a meditation on pace for the Center in the City platform. So tell me a little bit more about pace and how you work with people around slowing down pace, because I think that's a huge thing we all feel, no matter what field you're in, in this modern day world we're in. Absolutely. I think that although social work is right, this founded under these ideals of um, like seeing the world differently, having more equality, more equity, being more anti-oppressive, we're still working in a capitalist society where production is key, where our value is attached to our production. And it could be really easy to get wrapped up in quantifying our success. And in fact, there's a lot of quantifying of success. And I think that for people who are staff, And then even better for people who have decision-making power and are in leadership management positions, it's an opportunity to really look at how is the workflow being orchestrated in a way where people can take care of themselves. Um, If you look at someone's work calendar, do they have back-to-back-to-back meetings? One thing that I've personally started practicing is just taking five minutes 
in each major transition of my day to just breathe and to recenter myself. And while that may not be adding time, right? Like I can't add time to, I don't have a magic wand. I can't add time to my day. It's focusing on how am I showing up? Am I like, okay, I just came from this meeting. Now we're going to jump into this meeting and this is what we're going to talk about. And like, you know, I'm on a thousand, right? Um, Or did I just create a barrier between what just happened in the morning and now where I'm going at this point in time? Yeah, the transitions are so important and expanding on what you just said, right? We, We all have 24 hours in the day. We can't stretch that any further but we can make time feel more spacious, right? And especially whether that's a breath, whether that's slowing down our pace, whether that's spreading out our meetings, whether it's taking, you know, those transition moments a little bit more intentionally. And I feel like with that ability, right, to create more spaciousness, that can help us slow down and feel more feel more present. Also, increases like humanity, right? Because recently the incidents that occurred in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol, you know, it came out of nowhere. So I still had meetings that day. And I just started off the meeting. I'm, I'm a supervisor in my role. And so I like to think of being in that role as like role modeling. Yeah, you're a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I started off that meeting and saying, I know we have to jump into this agenda, but I just want to acknowledge like what's going on right now. And, and that's a lot. And like, if we need to reschedule this meeting or if people need to take care of themselves, like, let's do that because pretending, right? Like, okay, out of sight, out of mind, like it only gets you so far. Yes. And that's going back to the like humanity, helping people feel seen and heard versus being looked at as production machines. And that's their value is like, how much can you produce today versus you're human, you have a heartbeat, you can breathe, you have wants and you have needs. And how do we get to make it a both and, right? So it's not just let's squeeze all of the juice out of you. That's powerful that you would slow that meeting down to help your team feel seen and to check in, to get the pulse of like, how is everybody? And I do want to just acknowledge the flip side for a second, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be honest about who I am and where I'm at, which is there is a time to grind it out. There is. And discipline to me more and more becomes a part of my self-care. But not discipline as like, I think I've seen in the mainstream, right? Like, like if you don't work nonstop every single day or you don't take lunch breaks or you um, stay up until five in the morning to finish a memo, like, like that's not the type of discipline I'm talking about. I'm talking, and this goes back to time. I'm talking about being intentional with my time knowing what my priorities are, being responsible around where I give my time. So when I finally do have that thing that it's absolutely necessary that I grind out, focus and put all my attention into, I've created enough space 
around the things that maybe aren't as important that I have capacity, internal capacity to show up for that. Mm. Yeah. And how, how do you check in with yourself to manage your capacity, right? To learn and practice self-regulation or emotional regulation or just like energy regulation? Oh my goodness. That's such a great question. I would be lying (laughs) if I said that I've got it down. This is probably the area that I'm working on the most because for me, what I've found is in order to know that you've reached your breaking point, you have to know what your breaking point feels like. And Mm -hmm. that requires being able to feel pain, being able to feel sadness, being able to feel grief and knowing that you can come back from it and you're going to be okay. And so that is something that I'm working on because I know the more that I become familiar with what those feelings look like, what they feel like, how they show up for me, the better I can own them and I can recognize how to manage them because I see, oh, I, I, that's, that's coming up. I, I know what that is. I know what that is. What am I going to do with it? What, what, how can I care for myself around this feeling right now? Mm, yeah. And I'm, what I'm hearing is like, n- not only need mindful awareness of what does this feel like in my body, but to sense it. And it sounds like to be proactive with it when you can feel like it's creeping in or getting close instead of what I know a lot of people do. And again, this is not judgment, it's practice, but white knuckle and think that they can just power or push through or back to the word you first use, like grind through, right? Um, and that they're going to get through the other side and be fine. But in reality, we know like they might, their tank might go to complete empty and then they're of no help to themselves or anybody else. Or that's when, you know, sickness starts to arise and our immune system then throws us off or our body starts telling us like screaming signals at us, like stop, stop, stop. Totally. Well, thank you, Rosa, for all of your wisdom and your insights and your expertise. And thank you for doing all of the work that you do and that you get to be this amazing voice and advocate for all of your clients. Thank you, Wade, for having me and for just bringing such an important topic to light. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you know of a great guest for our show, feel free to send an email to team at centeredinthecity.org or sign up for my newsletter at wade at wadebrill.com. And of course, you can always check out the Center in the City platform at centeredinthecity.org. Until next time, stay centered.